0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great. Filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at Aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal, just breathe, and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria.
1: And I'm David Hanscom. And the topic today is called the physiology of love. And why does it heal? So the purpose A is that love is much more than a concept, is actually a physiological state of safety and profoundly healing. Why? So remember, physiology is how the body functions. It's like a parked car has no symptoms. You have to turn the car on before it has symptoms. So it's how the car runs that creates the physiology of the car. State so of the human body is how your body runs and functions. Body temperature, blood pressure is all the physiological state. So love is a profoundly Physiological state of safety and healing.
0: Wow this this early this uh, that was profound truly. <laughs>
1: What's well, your prof- so
0: yeah. <laughs> um, well, how about how about I drop you a profound um, quote, audience uh, from David's um, introduction here. Uh, here's today's quote: Headspace creates heart space. Headspace creates heart space. And David, um, I got this person's quote, uh, so I had to borrow it for them. Less aria.
1: So. <laughs> so I'm glad you're humble this morning. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the great less aria, but that's oh, okay.
0: oh that'd be terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're a off your game this morning, so that's okay. <laughs> Do you love uh, yourself? Do you love yourself, Doctor Arya?
0: I um, actually, it's so interesting. I can't wait to talk about how self-love is very important before we start to love others. So, yes. With that said, David and audience, how about we review a couple of things we chatted about in the last episode? For example, let's review the types of love. There's passionate love, also known as romantic love, family love, friendship love. Mankind love, also known as human race or anything else on Earth, our pets, nature. And then there's self-love, passionate, family, friendship, mankind, and self-love.
1: So the thing about love for people, it's a very loaded word and has lots of meanings to different people. And we are going to have an episode that's a very tricky episode about what love is not. You know, it can be a, a transference, short-lasting They say, and we're not going to go there today. It's a very controversial topic, but love in general, according to Dr. Anthony DeMello, a very famous writer, um, he wrote a book called The Way to Love, which is Way to Awareness. So being aware of people around you is the essence of human connection. And the common link with all these different types of love is um, connection, safety. So you connect to your family, you connect to your friends, you're connected to the human race. But to do that, you actually have to listen and be aware. And that's not a strong link for surgeons, I'll have to say. <laughs> I mean, one day my fellows asked me, he says, Don't you ever get tired of talking? And I go, no, not really. <laughs>
0: so, All right. Trust me, folks, he's uh he's right about that.
1: <laughs> you're right. So but fortunately I have this friend of mine, a psychologist who has to listen. So this is perfect, a perfect match. But anyway, the common link is connection, connection, connection which means you have to connect to yourself. That's what self-love is. And that's different than creating sort of a mental construct and trying to love this mental construct. It's just truly connecting to who you are. But anyway, the essence of disease is prolonged exposure to threat physiology or what you might call fight or flight. And I've known for decades from medical school that chronic stress causes illness, disease, it shortens lifespan, but nobody ever really told me why. So why does chronic stress the problem? So we sort of deal with acute stresses and then your body goes back to a resting state but with chronic stress and there's lots of reasons for that it's just day after day after day your body's being attacked by its own fight-or-flight flat response inflammatory all sorts of things are happening so your body's breaking down steadily it's like dripping water on a rock it gradually erodes your body so that's the essence of chronic disease is prolonged exposure to threat physiology and it's well documented that chronic stress actually cause a serious illness and disease, and it's a major problem. So I just want to review Dr. Ari, I will let you talk this morning, mm-hmm. but just, just, just to review the dynamic healing model is that you have your circumstances or stresses, so you have nerve nervous system is interpreting all the sensory input and then determining whether you're safe or under threat. And then your body, your brain sends out signals to dictate a response. So it's either fight or flight or safety and they're both necessary and you need fight or flight to get through the day and you need safety to rest and regenerate but we are always in fight or flight when you regenerate so dr Arya, um could you educate me as to the chemistry of love the neurochemistry of love
0: oh david there's so much to talk about for that matter and but right. uh, the serious part is the chemistry of love is really truly Um, complex. And um, one of the things I wanted to mention, which I don't think we mentioned enough um, last time, is that one of the main things that when it comes to love has to do with oxytocin and vasopressin. It's really important for us to kind of pause here. Think about something, someone, or a situation that you really love, maybe a person that really um, allows you to feel safe, allows you to be who you are. And what's that feel like on the inside uh, when you connect maybe with this person or maybe even my, um, you know, my family dog, uh, you know, Bentley. So when I'm hugging Bentley and playing with Bentley, it is just amazing to feel no threat, no danger. So the question is from a chemistry perspective, how, do, how am I able to connect? We don't think much about this because it all starts inside of us. So when the inside of you is feeling safe, it's easier for us to have a connection to others. And it starts with the brain chemical, uh, let me retract that, the hormone called oxytocin and vasopressin that allows those two things, allows us to connect and to feel a sense of bonding. And that is why when we connect with someone who's feeling safe and fun, is everything feels better, we even leave where we are and just kind of the memories are there the body feels the body feels alive the body feels good and think about the last time uh you know the last time I hung out with David and uh, and his wife it was just a great lunch we had and uh when I drove away I just had this big smile on my face it was just good you know because you know as funny as David is he's very warm and loving and to be able to connect with fun and safe people it allows for more bonding so when we feel safe it changes the brain chemistry, and it's really important that we pause and uh, talk a little bit about that, David, and also maybe add a few other brain chemistry um, concepts here.
1: Well, you know, Sue Carter is a good friend of ours, and she is the wife of Stephen Porges, who wrote The Polyvagal Theory, and I didn't realize this, <clears throat> but I had her on my podcast last week, and she was um, she's a person who brought oxytocin to life in the 70s and 80s. In medical school, we are taught that, well, <clears> there's <throat> just a lactation birthing drug. It's right. um, a cousin of that um, prolactin, I think it is, to actually induce labor. But she made a really interesting point that, okay, a mother has a child in her body and then it sort of disrupts your life. I mean, you're now dedicating a high percentage of your conscious hours in life to this kid. So unless you have some chemical, re- so what oxytocin does, it strengthens that bond. So if there's not an oxytocin connection early on, that actually creates that bond, you can't just make it up. So from a survival standpoint, we're programmed from the beginning to have this chemical reaction that creates a bond with a child, but the same reaction occurs with other humans. So, So we also know humans evolved by social connection. It's how we became so successful in the animal kingdom. Is that we have social connection and cooperation. Well, she also pointed out in several talks that one of the worst punishments you can inflict on another human being is to socially isolate them. Yeah. So throughout the history of the world, the way you punish yeah. people badly is you ostracize them from the tribe. So this oxytocin thing is a big deal, and the final point is that it's powerfully anti-inflammatory. And we know chronic pain, chronic disease, mental and physical is highly inflammatory and breaks down your body. So in the chemistry of love, you have anti-inflammatory cytokines, which are little proteins that indicate inflammation or not. You have dopamine, which is a rewards drug, serotonin, which is the happiness drug, growth hormone causes regeneration. Then your body goes into what's called an anabolic state where you take your fuel and actually store the fuel as opposed to a catabolic state where you're breaking your body down. So if you're driving your car car down the freeway in second gear at 70 miles an hour, it's going to break down. If your body's always in fight or flight long-term, it's going to break down. So before we go on to the love brain, which I think is really well put together from your perspective, can you describe about the neurophysiology of the brain when you are the opposite of love, anxious and frustrated,
0: yeah, I mean, this is um, in great simplicity, David. I think we forget. I like I like what you kept on mentioning that the chronicity of stress. It's not so much the stress itself that tends to break the body down, and eventually, as we like to say among uh, ourselves, is that the mind really starts to kind of fall apart. Um, there's only so much. Uh, and this is why I think, uh, as David said, is when we have the chronicity of stress, it is not just It's not a psychological thing. I think David has said it by the most, is that that stress is not a psychological thing. What he means by that um, is that when we go through day in, day out, and we do not have any form of reprieve, a sense of respite, may that be in the morning, in between, you know, um, your meetings, uh, family life, it doesn't matter what it is. When you don't have reprieve, David is really saying that your physiology dominates you, your survival mode. Now, there's a psychology to it, and I'm pretty confident David's not saying there's no psychology to this, but what we're trying to emphasize is this, is we're programmed to react and survive. That's what the brain does. And so when we're not in this love brain festive mode, so to speak, even in moments and micro moments throughout the day, connecting with people who are fun and safe, it really kind of shifts the brain to a state of survival. And my discussion on that, as many of the talks have given, is that The nervous system becomes stuck between the fight or flight, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and also the dorsal vagal, which is the freeze and shut down. So we put this all together. If you think of a ladder, think of at the top of the ladder where the treehouse is, that's safety. And right down the middle of the ladder, going up to the treehouse is stress, or let's just keep it as that, as sympathetic or stress. So we've got safety at the top of the ladder. The middle of the ladder is stress and then at the bottom of the ladder is what we call shutdown. The hierarchy of the nervous system fluctuates or I should say oscillates between all these three physiological states. These three physiological states actually predict our psychological dispositions. So when we say chronicity of stress and the opposite of the love brain, what we're saying is you're in the survival brain and that does damage day in day out and eventually We get so surprised when we get a fancy diagnosis or a chronic medical condition your doctor says, by the way, you've been diagnosed with. And if you just pause for a second, this is where it comes down to and suppressing emotions, not saying what you mean and not meaning what you say really has a strong effect on you. Not just in chronic pain and trauma and depression, anxiety. So when we look at the opposite part of the love brain, we're talking maybe we should call it the distress brain or the survival brain.
1: So, and the problem is <clears throat> we see so much reactivity in this society right now. Um, I, I'm just about politicians. I don't care what your political party is right or left is that when you're anxious or frustrated, your brain goes offline. And so you, you actually physiologically, it's not possible to think clearly. Yeah. There's creativity. You just can't do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: and you can't just will it back into place. You have to use the skills to get your, body getting cues of safety as opposed to ongoing threat so anytime you're anxious or frustrated remember we learn by past experiences what to do today every every move every motion I make right now is programmed by, by my entire past to this very second so i'm not going to touch a hot stove i'm not going to walk out into the street because i know it's going to be dangerous that's the way the brain works but also conversations with people you know interactions with your boss and colleagues if they were unpleasant in the past they're gonna be you you worry about it now so anytime you're anxious or frustrated you're actually out of awareness or out of love and the other problem is that and this is I've said this multiple times but it's really profound not because I'm saying it but in the animal kingdom physically there's no rewards for being vulnerable yeah right if you don't that's the way evolution works that if you are vulnerable you don't survive Well, humans are mammals. We are animals. And so the problem is emotional pain and physical pain, as Dr. Ari pointed out on the last podcast, are processed in the same part of the brain. So emotional pain hurts. Why do we want to hurt? But the essence of relationships is being vulnerable. So So learning how to tolerate anxiety and frustration is a huge part of actually human relationships. But when we go into an reactive mode, we have this cosmic ping pong game that we can't really truly interact because we're in the past, not the present. So we've lost awareness. So again, there's no rewards being vulnerable emotionally or physically, but yet learning to be vulnerable is the essence of human relationships. So, um, Dr. Arya, you want to talk about the polyvagal framework just for a second?
0: Yeah. And so, um, I think, David, it's a nice time for us to, to shift a little bit more into uh, the brain and the nervous system. So, uh, just as I kind um, of spelled out um, earlier on as we were chatting, is that um, when you think about when you're trying to access love, so let's just kind of take that angle first. Using the polyvagal theory, as I um, mentioned earlier on, if you think of three hierarchical um, autonomic nervous system physiological states. That's a mouthful, right? So think of your nervous system as three physiological states, safety, stress, and shutdown. The technical names for that would be safety is ventral vagal stress would be sympathetic, the sympathetic nervous system. And then you've got the dorsal vagal, which is the shutdown, freeze and shutdown that is. And so very often when we are trying to access love, very often, uh, I wanna take this angle, David, very often, when we often try to connect with our partners, family, friends, uh, more so often people we really love and care about, is that when we love, very often we love from a place of fear and obligation. And to be able to physiologically feel safe, that will not work because when you love out of fear and obligation, for example, I better do this or else, you know, he or she or they might be upset. That's not love. So when you actually think of the polyvagal theory, it really really helps us take a framework of, for us to be able to access love, to feel a sense of peace, a sense of connection, a sense of just being able to feel good on the inside. It requires us to feel safe first, which then opens up the portal into love.
1: So let's jump to the solutions and we'll keep going back to the problem. But in summary, um, there's a book called Sapiens that summarizes this so well. And I can't find the quote, but whether it's 5,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, you have a family that's sitting around a campfire having um, a deer or something that it's having for dinner, relaxing, laughing, talking, dancing, that your body's full of oxytocin and connection. So, his point being that you're, whether it's today or 5,000 years ago, your sense of well being actually depends on your physiological state.
0: Yeah.
1: It's about connection. And so, again, unfortunately, chronic pain, we tend kind to of push people away. We're anxious, we're frustrated, and rightfully so. And so, we tend to push people away. And so, we actually need those people to help us nurture ourselves and to heal. Because, again, oxytocin is highly anti inflammatory. Is highly healing as the entire love state is. Right. But we mentioned this a couple of times, 90% of people in chronic pain are still angry and frustrated at the situation or a person who caused their pain. But the person that, that, that they're most angry about is themselves. So let's talk about the solutions just for a second, because um, Dr. Ariely outlined some really nice um, things about the three elements of self-compassion. And um, But the catch-22 is that in chronic pain, your brain's offline, you're anxious and you're frustrated. Dr. John Sarno actually called it rage because you're trapped. You're trapped by a very unpleasant experience. So it's bad enough to be trapped by finances or bad relationships or or poverty or whatever. Those are bad trappings. But when you're trapped by pain, I mean, come on, you have a very unpleasant physical sensation that's trapping you. And so that your brain's offline. And then it blocks your capacity to think and feel to actually engage in treatment. You have a horrible cast 22. So you can't just become loving. You have to somehow generate that entry point, actually start the process going, and you can't just get there. You have to go through a sequence of events. So Dr. Arya, you have some ideas about how to break through this problem?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for this podcast, this is a very complex topic as we mentioned, much like chronic pain and chronic conditions. So one of the one of the things I just wanted to um, really emphasize with the audience here is this: is to truly truly love, um, to be able to to receive love and give love. It starts within you first. And so to be able to feel safe, to be able to show up for yourself is key. And so um, the way I teach my patients, David, uh, and audience is basically I teach people to have self compassion, and that can be very triggering for some people. And for some
1: people, so, I'm to so, I'm sorry, you said self-compassion can be triggering for people? Yep. yep and yep, how, how, how can that be?
0: Yeah, a great question. It can be because as sometimes people have had severe developmental trauma, childhood trauma, or domestic violence, or actually a family that was quite dismissive of how they feel. What happens is this is their system becomes very primed and sensitized to Um, that when love is given, it's usually conditional. And so it's a very activating thing. It's a very punishing thing to them. And when they start to feel love uh, or a sense of peace within themselves, which helps you have accessibility to love, is what happens is that vulnerability starts to um, come down. And when the brain starts to feel, or the mind starts to feel the sense of safety, we tend to feel vulnerable. I believe you're the one that just said it a few minutes ago. That you know, in the animal world, there you don't get reward for being vulnerable. You get punished. Right. So in the same sense, in the same sense, when people start to feel safe, there's a paradoxical effect of the vulnerability that they tend to feel. So it's kind of like this. Uh, the way I put it up, you might, you folks, you may not be able to see me here, but imagine uh, old-fashioned. You put up your dukes, right? You got your fist up in the air. And so when you start to feel love and safety, you put your fist down and it's as if your brain is settling down. And then all of a sudden the, the brain says, wait a minute, every time I've felt vulnerable, bad things happen. Right. Every time felt. So it's not safe to feel love and receive love. And your dukes go back up, your fists go back up, your survival mechanism of your brain goes up. And your, then your mind says, I, I, I'm not worthy of this. This is not safe. And so this has a knee jerk reaction. So. I just wanted to tell people is when when I'm going to make some, I'm going to walk us through a very brief, maybe, you know, 30 second, how to do self-compassion, but um, I just want people to know that it can be activating. My recommendation, David and audience, do micro dosing of self-compassion. When you can have a sense of safety within you first, it is easier to be able to let others in and this helps healing.
1: So again, the trouble is emotional pain is as real as physical pain. Like you hurt my feelings. You broke my heart. Right. And classic example, somebody who is burned in a relationship, they don't want to get burned again, so they never go back into a relationship
0: yes.
1: and life's about taking risk. And so again, there are, you can train your, again, I'm the word train your brain to learn to be vulnerable and like Les said, I think it's so, so one more comment, though that's probably where self-sabotage comes into place.
0: Yes, and and I'm glad you brought that, and then I'll walk over the three elements of self-compassion and walk us through just a few seconds, a microdosing of how to actually start to feel safe within yourself, feel that physiological shift, and then you'll feel that psychological shift of a sense of peace and love. Um, David, sabotaging is really, if you think about it, it's a pattern. Right. Patterns come from the brain. And, I, and when, before we start this podcast, David and I were chatting about a book, uh, Live Wired, I believe, uh, right. David turned me on to that book. Great book, Neuroscientist from Stanford. It says, hey, listen, everything we do in life, it's already programmed. And so that's why David and I are big on talking about how do we sort of rewire or reprogram ourselves? So, And then David's uh, big point is, are you aware of you know, the behaviors you're engaged in? And so with that said, sabotaging is seen as a psychological thing, but if you walk it back a little bit, you can remove the shame and the blame game because it's your beautiful brain and nervous system just trying to keep you out of, I don't like feeling vulnerability. Every time good things happen, I tend to experience bad things. And that's a pattern that we've experienced in childhood or even adulthood. So when we sabotage, it's because if we got better, doesn't matter why depression, anxiety, trauma symptoms reduce chronic pain symptoms. We got better. Guess what? The world will need us. And can you handle it? Or and or can you actually be your true self versus I'm a person with chronic pain?
1: Right. I think we need to do another podcast on this because I just had a session with my um, study group about the benefits of staying in pain. It's Mm -hmm. powerful. It protects you. You don't have to feel vulnerable. And there's a huge amount of benefits of remaining angry and in pain, because you don't have to feel vulnerable. But again, as that's the essence of human relationships is social connection and being, you can't really have true social connection without being vulnerable. And then oxytocin and those other chemicals are hugely healing. So I, I noticed this years ago, people that were getting better were reconnecting with family and friends. And so again, not the sort of romantic love, which is important, but just that connection with people is a true connection. And by the way, we talked about in last podcast, when you're always talking about your pain, that's the opposite of connection. You're not on the, you're not talking about who you are. You're talking about something you have. Yeah. And that's a deadly conversation to talk about your pain over and over and other other people, because you think you're bonding, but you're not really bonding. So, Les, I'd love to have you, I think your summary here is, um, you talk about three elements of self-compassion, self-kindness, common humanity versus isolation, mindfulness versus over-identification, and I'll make one comment, and I'll really let you finish up with these three concepts, because I think these are great. So, I came from an abusive background, which is no secret, Um, I don't hold it out there as a badge of honor or suffering anymore, I just had that, and so... I'm actually working right now with a psychiatrist to work more on finding that spot of self-compassion. And it's not really there. My identity is based on accomplishments and pleasing people, et cetera, et cetera. And I've done a lot of work. I'm certainly way more available than I was 20 years ago. But I've gone through a process called ideal parenting. In other words, what would have been like in a situation where you were suffering and your parents had actually nurtured you? Yep. And I had the opposite where I don't think at any point in time where I was suffering did I ever, ever feel nurtured, except guess what? When I had migraine headaches. Mm. The only my mother would stop her screaming and actually being compassionate, put a washcloth on my head. And these were crippling migraines my entire life. So talk about a reinforcement pattern. So my capacity for self-compassion is pretty darn limited. Mm. So, I mean, I, I want to say that now. I mean, I've worked in this for many, many years. But it doesn't just happen if your program, your brain is programmed to be on high alert all, all the whole time. Mm-hmm. Self-compassion really isn't in there. And I think Les, and I, Les has taught this to me in that the number one thing is you go through the healing journey, you'll have good days and bad days. You're going to fail and succeed. But no matter what you do, always be kind to yourself, mm-hmm. no matter what you do. And so um, so if you want to summarize um, these yeah. of self-compassion, which I think are really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just kind of say a sentence or two. And David, I think the best way to um, to experience this or to teach this to the audience is basically just to take maybe about uh, just a few seconds to just um, show you how to do self-compassion on the fly. I call it microdosing. So it doesn't have to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But if you can do this throughout the day, it'll be great. My sentence that I want to say to you guys <clears> on <throat> my take home message is that think of self-compassion as a way to shift your physiological states, which then will shift your psychological states. So self-compassion is sort of a training, learning to show up with acceptance, non-judgment, and love. And that will shift your physiology. And eventually you'll start to feel the psychology change within you. So so let's kind of um, walk us through uh, through this, is if everyone in the audience, as you're listening to this, and please, if you're driving, eyes open. The rest of you, eyes closed, um, if you feel comfortable. Now drop into your breath and just notice where you feel the breath in the body. And whether you notice the breath at the nose or the belly, just pay attention there. Just drop your attention right there. Feel the physical flow and sensation of your breath. There's really nothing else for you to do. And as you connect with that flow and sensation of your breath, I want you to place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly if you're comfortable. as you place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly, I want you to feel the undulation of the breath, the rise and fall of your breath. Now, as you connect with that movement, I'm gonna give you three sentences to show up for yourself as a form of self-compassion to build. And as you say these sentences, I want you to really find it in your body and connect with it in your body. Here we go. As you feel the flow and sensation of your breath, Here's the first sentence I want you to repeat to yourself. I'm here for you. Quietly whisper that as you feel the rise and fall of your body with the breath. I am here for you. I'm here with you. I am here. Let me repeat that one more time. Feel the rise and fall of your breath as you anchor the sensation. Now repeat again. As you connect with your breath, say, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I am here. One more time. Just connect with your breath and repeat the sentence. I am here for you. I'm here with you. I am here. Taking a nice gentle breath in, pausing at the top. And as you breathe out, gently opening your eyes and letting your hands rest. There you go
1: so doctor there's many layers to this conversation but i think it's a great finishing exercise and again remember you're now allowing yourself to feel unpleasant sensations and emotions and so it's not about trying to generate something positive to counteract those you're just being with those unpleasant emotions which is the essence of healing is just allowing yourself to be unpleasant emotions. And, you know, you've, as you said before, what you resist will persist. So you're now allowing yourself to feel vulnerable, be vulnerable. It doesn't feel pleasant, but guess what? You can actually show up to be there for yourself. So it's a huge paradigm shift. And that's something I'm, again, we're not really programmed that way. We're programmed to survive and fight and get through things. And this is about letting go and just being. So I think that's a really excellent. So one more quick, one more time. I think it's worth repeating the exercises quick.
0: Okay. So simply connect with your breath and then add these three sentences. I am here for you. I am here with you. I am here. And these three mantras or statements is to say to yourself as a healthy and ideal parent, the healthiest parents showing up for the little kid inside of you who's scared because your nervous system is your lived experiences. Dr. Dr. Hanscom.
1: Dr. Arya, thank you very much. Very nice final advice. And I'm actually listening.
0: (laughs) Have a great day, folks. All right. Thank you. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-less at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-less at dynamichealingpodcast.com.